Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. With us here this evening, Mark chapter number four and verse number 35 uh, this evening, the Bible says, and the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? For a little while tonight, and we have, we have this passage is a passage that people resort to oftentimes or it's been preached more than once even by me as far as this passage but let's go back there again to see what the spirit would say to us tonight I'd like to speak this subject matter teaching storms teaching storms there's some storms sometimes that we can learn lessons from teaching storms God I come to you this evening I'm grateful for the group of people that have gathered here together on this Sunday evening God of the, the, the first day, God of this month of February. I pray, O oh Master, today that you're able to help us. God, give us guidance and instruction, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you're able to teach us something, Father, through your word. I pray, oh God, every mind, Lord, to be captivated by your word and by your spirit. God, we're thankful for all of our guests, Lord, that are with us tonight. God, we appreciate you, Lord, for it. God, I pray, Lord, that someone's life can be spoken to and ministered to. God, through your word this evening, God, I'll give you the praise for it and the glory for it. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Teaching storms. Look at your neighbor and say teaching storms. Teaching storms. It's oft times been said that, that if you're an individual and you live upon this thing that we called earth and you are alive, that everybody that is sitting under the sound of my voice tonight are here in one of three places, and that is this. You're either in a storm, you're emerging from a storm, or you're about to enter a storm. Storms are just as much as a fact of life as being born and dying are facts of life. By the way, storms are no respecters of persons. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you're going to experience a storm. The Bible even conveys it like this, that it rains, it says, on the just and the unjust. Storms do not respect people. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old and feeble you may be. Storms come in and out of our lives oftentimes. They're just simply a part of life. An American by the name of Ken Barnes, he safely headed toward land after three days 
adrift, said a driving storm uh, off the tip of South America snapped his mast and rode his yacht, shattering his dream to make a nonstop round-the-world voyage. He said, I lost my boat, but I preserved my life to a group of reporters on the radio uh, having a conversation with them. Barnes had a 44-foot privateer that was hit with winds between 40 and 50 miles an hour, waves of about 20 to 25 feet high. The, bow, the boat rode, he said, 360 degrees. He said, I was inside the boat, and if I would have been outside the boat, I would have not been here today. He said, but like I say, I went around with the boat as everything else did inside the boat. The batteries ended up in the sink, all the tools, all the floorboards. One of them came up and broke in half. Barnes received a very long gash on his right thigh but was otherwise uninjured. The 47-year-old man from Newport Beach, California hoped to be the first American from Newport Beach, California to, to circumnavigate the world in a solo, nonstop voyage from the West Coast. He left Long Beach, Florida, or California, rather, on October the 28th. He said he knew the attempt would be dangerous. He said anybody who sails these waters know the risks that are being taken, he said. The U.S. Coast Guard, uh, the Chilean Marine Time officials received signals from Barnes' distress beacon on Tuesday and minutes after he called his girlfriend on his satellite phone to report that he was in trouble. It was until Friday that the Polar Pesca 1 fishing vessel guided by a Navy plane was able to reach Barnes. He was some 500 miles from the western entry into the Strait of Magellan at the time of his rescue. Navy Captain Ivan said Barnes' boat, which he spent years equipping for what he expected to be a six to eight month long journey, had to be abandoned. The boat was badly damaged. Its two masts were broken. He also had a, a meter high. It was meter high in flooding, said Ivan. It will probably sink very soon, Mr. Barnes himself told us he was no interest in recovering it after his rescue. He just gathered a few of his things and went on. And days later, after the boat would come to shore, he was flown by a helicopter to that area. We all sometimes go through storms and the storms that this man had went through, he could attest to the fact that he survived a very great storm, but he did not survive without some injury. He did not survive uh, the storm without some injury that may have stayed with him for a while. He did not survive without a loss of what he was depending on and depending in. The storms of life, quite frankly, come many times without any warning. Wouldn't it be great that there would be a flash on Monday morning that's telling you something bad is about to take place? Wouldn't it be wonderful if an anonymous caller directed by the Spirit of the Lord would call your residence and say, I'm just letting you know, God, let me see today that you're going to get into a car, a car accident that's going to handicap you for the rest of your life at 5th and Broadway. 
But the problem with storms is this, is that storms come many times without a warning. The phone rings and the doctor asks that you hear on the other end, come to my office right now as soon as you can. A letter in a mail it may be or a knock on the door, a phone call from a relative, a severe look maybe from your boss or the clearing of the throat followed by a few words we need to talk. Storms approach it may seem in just little velvet slippers but whenever they have come into the room they are clashing with thunder storms come many times unannounced and without warning the Bible tells us in Mark 4 that Jesus has spent the day teaching. He had brought in new concepts about farming. He had mentioned the different types of soil that seed could be invested in. He talked about the good ground, the seed that fell along the wayside, those among the thorns and those among the rocks. And little did the disciples know that a few hours later, the types of ground would be revealed when they entered the storm of their lives upon that sea or upon on that lake that they embarked upon. The remarks that Jesus had concerning the, the farming or the literal farming were not really literal. They were more spiritual than they were literal. They were talking about a spiritual farming. Talking about the spiritual things that exist within the heart of a man. Wayside ground, good ground, a ground that was rocky or ground that was thorny. But whenever Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount, he mentioned two men in his dissertation on the Sermon on the Mount. He said two men that had the same material, had though different foundations. And when the storm came, the fool was washed away and the wise man that had built his house upon the rock was standing. Not only do storms temper the character and the shape of the heart, but they also reveal what men are made of or what they are depending upon whenever a storm comes. And the Lord has a great ability to take things that are lifeless and use them for something throughout Scripture. The Bible, we see time and time again the Lord taking things that are inanimated and, and, and lifeless. He took, the Bible says, mud to heal the blind eyes of a man that was struck with blindness. He used a water pot to pour out wine, the Scripture says, at that marriage of Cana of Galilee. He used a water bucket to tell a woman about everlasting life and one day in particular he allowed the ground to become a chalkboard for his finger as he wrote and relieved a woman of her accusers and of her sin. But on this day in Mark 4 he would take a boat and that boat would become his pulpit. And he would teach from that helm. And apparently a vast crowd was gathered together to hear his words. And other boats were anchored near to hear the words of the Lord. And night was very soon approaching. The crickets were starting to chirp. And the day, uh, the day was beginning to cool down. Dusk was coming upon all the people. And the Lord suggested to the disciples, start your trek across the distant shore amen and as they started their trek across the distant shore it seems like a man if there's going to be any reaction of man and his faith if he has it or if he don't it's going to show up when the storm arrives a man in a storm and his reactions in the middle of the crisis will show where his faith is in and what his faith lies in the disciples knew 
for them at least were not strangers to the water. They knew the dangers of a storm. They just did not understand when the storm would come. They knew what dangers came with the storm. They just never knew when a storm might arrive. And on this night, the storm and the surrounding dangers was going to be their teachers. They would be the students and they would hear and understand what the storm was trying to teach them. They get on their journey just a little way across the river and thinking about probably in about an hour and an hour and a half having passed over this before we will surely be arriving at land comfortably on the other side but then suddenly it would seem out of nowhere came a storm with its fury and with its passion and the Bible no doubt lets us in on the fact that the people that were upon the boat are somewhat stunned with the suddenness of the appearance of the storm and quickly doing what fishermen knew how to do this was their livelihood they knew what to do quickly the sails are lowered the oars are brought out the experienced fishermen were the leaders keep the boat facing the wind keep the oars in the water pull it together keep a steady hand on the rudder that was what they knew to do but sometimes there are powerful storms that are beyond my control and beyond your control even whenever you do everything you know to do sometimes they're even beyond our capability of dealing With the storms. But there's benefits to the storms. What the disciples did mirrors what we do when storms settle in on us. Remember that somewhere between the ordinary and the exceptional is something always called trouble. From the humdrum everyday living to that which goes to the peak of the supernatural always lies a state that you got to pass through called trouble. Amen. Skilled mariners, people that were fishermen, they weren't made of, they weren't made, amen, on the seas of glass, but they were made because they've experienced some hardships and some turmoil. Amen. A storm can develop develop you if you trust in the Lord, or it can destroy you if your trust is otherwise. Amen. Somewhere between, amen, just average, amen, and the greatness is the storm. Amen. Sometimes there are days that are filled in life with gut-riching nerve, twisting sleep, stealing trouble, and problems and situations before you ever get to where you want to get. Amen. Or more importantly, ever get to where God wants you to get. There are moments like this, and this is true in all occupations. This is true in all the professions, but particularly true in the spiritual realm as God is taking you and pulling you and as you have goals and ambitions you're going to run into a storm because folks here is the bottom line there are no shortcuts in life there are no certain shortcuts in spirituality or a walk with God if the storm is going to develop us then there's some helpful things that we must understand about the storms that enter our lives storms will give you an opportunity to grow. The disciples who were fishermen, Andrew, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, very skillful of being fishermen and handling storms. But when the storm first started, they began to go through the protocols of the storm. Let the sails down. Keep the oars in the water. Keep a firm hand on the rudder. Keep water out of the boat. Hey, guys, pick up a bucket. Go on, start belling water out of the boat. 
amen, maybe felt pretty good about what they were doing, what they were relying on because that's what they knew to do. That's how they relied on things. But there's some places along the lines, even everything you know to do is not enough. Sometimes we find ourselves, well, I have good enough insurance. I have a good enough job. I have a good enough home. I have a good enough bank account. If I get in trouble, I'll just go and take care of it because these are things that I do whenever the storm comes. But there comes a point in our walk with God, amen, that we got to walk the steps of Moses that even the bramble on the backside of a desert isn't much until God sets it aflame and afire. Amen, it's just a stick that's in his hand. But whenever he gives it to God, it becomes the rod of God that's used for signs and miracles and wonders. It's just a human hand. But once it's in and out of his bosom, it's leprous and then it's cleansed by God. We got to take what we have and we got to submit it and surrender it to the hands of the master. Amen. What most of us don't realize is that if we could be willing to offer our common things, our everyday things to God, he would take the common, he would take the everyday, and he would use it. He would would perfect it. He would do extraordinary things with just common material. If we just exchange hands with what we have and give it to him in the middle of our storm. They say that there's a, there's a curious thing that happens to apple trees in the great northwest. They say over there, these trees will put more bark on them than they do fruit. And in order to, in order to remedy this situation, orchard workers will severely prune back the apple trees. And when the apple trees are severely pruned back, the apple tree somehow senses that its existence is in jeopardy. And as a result, it'll start bearing more fruit in abundant supply more than it does bark because it understands there's something brewing. There's a storm. I feel though my existence is being threatened And so as a result then, uh, being pruned back, as a result of the storm, as a result of that situation, they don't die. They don't die. Their roots don't just curl up and wither away. No, they become more stately. They become more in ground because of being pruned back so hard. It doesn't make more bark come upon them to be impervious, but it allows more fruit to be born from a tree if you look at last year's product compared to the product after the storm, it is more plentiful. It is in greater supply all because of the pruning or the storm. So suffering and storms sometimes can cause us to grow. Because if we're left to our own devices, folks, this is humanity. If we're left to our own devices, we'll always be developing more bark than we are fruit. Well, that's one of the purposes of the storm. It's to cause me to quit relying on me. To cause me to quit relying on what's mine. On what's my stuff and my things and my talents and my abilities. God simply needs us to give it to him. 
So one of the first things to learn in the storm is that storms give us an opportunity to grow. But secondly, the storm will draw us toward another world. Thirteen men, ladies and gentlemen, are in this boat that's upon the sea. One was asleep. Four others are accomplished sailors. The other eight are sitting back watching everything that's happening because they are not sailors. They're probably really worried because the four fishermen are starting to appear as though they're worried. If you see somebody in a certain profession have a grimace on their face, that's the moment you should start worrying. Somebody that deals with this every day, if you see their eyebrow raise, you better raise both of yours. The time to start to worry is whenever those who handle this day in and day out start to worry. And so Peter and the boys, they're no doubt thinking the others, Peter and the boys, they'll get us out of this jam. I have the faith that they can do it. I have the faith that they can weather us through this storm. They know what they're doing. I have faith they've been here before and I've seen them come out on the other side. Everything's gonna be all right because they've been here before. Folks, I'm just bearing a message tonight that sometimes we treat the church just like that if the pastor is alright if everything is comfortable if all the things are running smoothly then there's no real need for me to get involved because I know so and so has a fast day and I know that one over there is a faithful prayer warrior and I know that one there has communion with the spirit everything's fine everything's comfortable amen and we just keep on going on amen the spirit will keep us amen the church is not going to go down amen but what is happening in the middle of a storm sometimes a storm rattles everybody from the pastor down to the new convert. It rattles everybody from the 50-year-old saint down to the five-year-old saint. And all of a sudden, you see people skilled in this, prayer warriors and pastors that start to get shook and nervous in their spirit. And then you start getting a little uneasy. Hey, what's going around? We're in real trouble right now. Amen. And everything around you is being stripped away. Amen. Everything that you had confidence in is being stripped away. Someone say amen. But can I tell you that there are times in life that the best thing that can happen to us is for everything to be stripped away. As sad or as bad as we would like to own it, some of the best things that can happen to us sometimes is start back at ground zero and rebuild. And regroup. Jacob had a birthright, but it took a murderous brother to motivate him to use it. Joseph had some tremendous dreams about what God was going to do in his life, but it took a band of brutal brothers to put him on the path to greatness. Someone hear me right now. Hannah had to deal with the insults of the wife of her husband, the other wife, might I say, of her husband. But that alone set her in the tabernacle of her God with weepings and prayers so that God would birth something in her womb. Moses had to be sent to the backside of a desert for 40 years 
before God could prepare him. Nehemiah needed to build a wall, the walls of Jerusalem. Amen. But it was the opposition. Everybody say opposition. It was the opposition of Tobiah and Sanballat that motivated him more than anything. That motivated him more than the words of those he spoke to from Jerusalem when he said Jerusalem lies in waste and desolate. What motivated him more than anything was the storm. Hallelujah. David had to be sent back to the pasture. That's not too great after God's anointed you to be king. But he had to go back to the pasture because the pasture wasn't done teaching him some lessons. See, there comes a point in the storm when you have to live off your faith. You walk this journey with God long enough, there's going to be storms where you have to live off your faith. You can't live off anybody else's faith. We can't live off daddy's faith, mama's faith, brother's faith, pastor's faith, your best friend's faith, somebody else's faith. you got to live off your faith. Amen. And it isn't, it isn't usually until the storm has come and gone that then we get garner and grant in our lives a measure of our own faith. Because it's wonderful to hear the stories of upheaval in other people's life. See how God brought them through it. And we're sitting there wide-eyed. Mouths open. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that. Are you serious? And we applaud. Raw, raw, raw. That's awesome. That's glorious. But when it shows up on your step next week, you're not as quick to raw, raw, raw. Because that was watching somebody else's faith. And now God has a trial for yours. The storm. The remedies that we need, folks, are not earthbound. They're heavenbound. See, it's what happens after or rather in the adversity that counts. One man said that it's not so much what happens to us, but what happens in us during the storm. So storms will give you an opportunity to grow and they will draw you to another world. But thirdly, the storm will bring you to your knees. See, there was some time during that struggle on the water that even the very, the very intelligent sailors that seemed to have everything together figured something out somewhere along the journey. And this was this. Their own skills that they had and practiced every day could not save them in their predicament. The resources that they had knowingly and with foresight had brought upon the boat could not save them in this predicament. They came to an identifying moment that no matter how trained we are, no matter how disciplined and practiced we are in this and the resources we have in this, the only thing that can save us in this storm, the only thing that can save us in this predicament is the master. My knowledge, my intellect is not going to do it. Hallelujah. All of the history that I have being on the boat, it's not going to do it. But the master's the only one that can somehow intercede, that can somehow step down, that can, that can somehow interrupt the process of this storm. See, I've come to realize what many people want is their great calm without the storm. 
is the peace without the storm. But folks, the great calm cannot happen. It cannot be fully appreciated until the storm has torn you, until the storm has stripped you, until the storm has made you to depend upon something by yourself. It's only then you can appreciate the calmness and the safety of the peace that passes all understanding that comes from God. Our cry is, I want the anointing, but no storm. I want a prayer life, but no storm. I want a great life, but no storm. I want to know God's word, but no storm. I want to win souls, but no storm. It don't happen like that. There's no shortcuts in this thing. Sometimes the prevailing pattern of life is that there's great successes and that there are also great afflictions. The day of Pentecost was soon followed by persecution of the church. Peter's great sermons was very shortly followed by imprisonment for Peter. So life flourishes. And then it's followed by some very stern Adversities, setbacks, others might call them. The disciples experience the greatest calm. And then it's followed with the overwhelming tempest of the storm. I tell you that just in case you thought it might happen, it will not happen in a million years that you'll get the calm without also having discovered or experiencing the storm. We got to have those gut-wrenching times. We got to have those sleep-stealing moments. We got to have those times when our nerves are all bound so tight, tight it's like just a bell of hay waiting for the wires to be cut and they're just going to explode. We got to all have those times because listen to me folks, throughout God's word the way that he tempered it was like this. If you want the sun to stand still, you got to be in a fight. If you want the water to be sweet, you first are going to have to have tasted bitter waters. If you want manna to fall from heaven, you're first going to have to get hungry beyond you can ever think. If you want fire to fall from heaven, you have to be surrounded by doubt. you got to be surrounded by unbelief. If you want birds as ravens to come and feed you, you got to be in a place on a run from your life, from a mad queen, from accusations that are not true. If you want to see an axe head flow on the water, then it's got to be lost in a pond before it's going to float. Does somebody hear me? You're going to have to face some adversity before you see the miracle, before you see the wonder and the awe of the power. Teaching storms are teaching us something. There is an account of a miracle in 2 Kings 7 verses 3 through 11. It's a hopeless situation as it's conveyed and told to you and I. The city of Samaria is under attack. Not only this, but one of the most fearful famines is being littered throughout the land. Amen. One of the most horrid famines in the history of Israel is taking place. It's got God's people by their throats. Hunger and fear is on every side of them. Their faith is waning. Their faith is unsure. And Elisha the prophet gets up and says that God 
is going to supply an abundance of food. And there's some people that are sneering at it. There are some people that are doubtful of it. Amen. In spite of their God. Amen. Doubt would not stop the mercy of God being granted. Although some did not believe, it did not keep God still from doing it and from performing it. How was it discovered? It was discovered by a whole different affair. There were four outcasts outside the city. They were bona fide lepers that were roaming around outside the camp. They had fled the previous night because of panic and they're outside the camp. And consider this, if the lepers had not been lepers, they would have been in the city. If the lepers had not been outcasts of the city, they would have not gotten the treasure of spoils and food. If the lepers had not been roaming in the wilderness, they would have not got the spoils in the food. But because they were in their dire strait, the bounty of God, as the four footfall of lepers head towards Samaria, the army scatter and are afraid because it sounds like a large army. And when they get there, nobody's in there. And they're saying, hey, we can have whatever we want. Go tell word. And the people that were in the middle of a famine without any type of abundance of food now had an abundance of food and all these things. But it was birthed where? From their storm. Sometimes your storm has to bring you to your knees. It's in that crucial place of being on our knees. How many times have you ever found yourself praying more than any other time whenever you found yourself in your storm? Middle of the day, early morning, late at night, a compelling, a drawing that you just, the load is so heavy, it'll put you on your knees. One man once said, say God often puts us in situations that are too much for us so that we will learn that no situation is too much for Him. Storms will give you an opportunity to grow. They'll draw you to another world. They'll bring you to your knees. But the storm can also bring glory to God. It was the storm that brought the disciples in the boat Together. At that point in time, among a group who jockeyed off times for position, wanting to know who was going to have the better place, who could be on the left or the right, who was counted as the greatest in the kingdom, they weren't too concerned at that moment in time who was doing what or who was sitting where or what accolade was being given to whom because the storm had a way of bringing people together they had one thing on their mind right now at that moment let's just survive the storm and so storms have a way of drawing us closer drawing us together drawing us close to other people that are around us that may likewise be enduring a trial one of the chief chief themes of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians was that we have the ability of comforting the hurting, amen, with the same comfort that we found in the midst of our own hurt, in the midst of our own storm, that we can comfort others because we know what it was like to be comforted in our own storm. 
And so I stand here tonight, amen, just, just as a pastor and a human being, things I'm aware and unaware of. I know some people are struggling. I know some people are having trouble. I know some people are having financial problems, some having job problems, maybe even some having marital problems. Others, amen, are doubting what God has called them to do or if God is going to do anything. Some are unable to forgive themselves or unable to forgive somebody else. Some may be having trouble with your kids, having health problems, struggling with depression and despondency, family problems. But in all of those instances, God can be brought the ultimate glory. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Brother Mason, if you'll come and I'll hasten to an end. The story of, is of Horatio Spafford. In the year of 1817, tragedy struck the city of Chicago in the form of a devastating fire. 300 people died. 100,000 were left homeless. Horatio Gates Spafford was one of those who tried to help the people of the city to get back on its feet. Spafford was an attorney who had invested much with his money into the downtown Chicago real estate area and he lost a great deal in the fire but he was motivated to help the homeless and he was grief stricken after two years of grueling work Spafford, his wife Anna and their four daughters were due a vacation they decided to go to England and then travel throughout Europe and Spafford would stay behind in Chicago but would eventually catch up with his family on the other side of the Atlantic their ship though, his wife's ship and his four daughters ship never made it off the coast of Newfoundland. It collided with another ship and sank within 20 minutes. Anna was able to cling to a floating piece of the wreckage, but her four daughters all drowned. Later, Spafford received a horrible telegram with only two chilling words, saved alone. If you'll stand with me. He boarded the next available ship to be near his grieving wife. Though reports vary when he did so, at some point, at some point, near where his daughter's lives were lost, the pain of Spadford's overwhelming grief became the golden words of a aged, in its own time, famous and known hymn that he wrote stated this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows row, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. He lives of the bliss of this glorious thought. Here's a man riding with four daughters that's drowned in the water of a storm. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And Lord, has the day, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trumpet shall sound. and The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. What are you saying? I'm saying there's teaching storms out there. 
And there's storms that's going to come. There's storms that's going to go. But in the midst of the storm, even as it's recorded in Mark 4, there is a Savior that has the capacity to bring prevailing peace in the midst of the most tumultuous storm. Can we close our eyes across this place today? God, what are you trying to teach us tonight? I remember one person once said, right now, it evades me exactly who it was. But something horrid had, horrid had happened with a family or with some circumstance. And just it, it, it was a storm that had overwhelmed and overtaken someone. And I remember this person pinning these words to them. And this were the words that he said. And to think of it like this maybe is a little baffling, but this is what he said. In the midst of their calamity, he said, God has entrusted you with a tragedy. God has entrusted you with a tragedy. I ponder on that. Man, that seems baffling. Upset, horrid circumstance. But he says, God's entrusted you with that. And I, you've heard me speak from this pulpit before. We've got to ask ourselves these questions at those junctures in the road. God, what do you want me to learn in this? What do you want me to learn from this? What is the storm trying to teach me? What is the storm trying to teach me? Folks, I'm convinced that when you come out on the other side... You're going to have experienced growth. That whenever God finally brings that, that anvil of justice and there's peace that pervades through the courtroom, that He's going to have drawn you closer to another world beyond this world. That whenever all the smoke and the dust settles, that He's going to have brought you to your knees and that's going to have done nothing but, but forge and strengthen relationships. And that when you look back, you're going to say, I tell you what, I don't know how I made it through it had it not been for the hand of God. And every glory is going to be given to him. You're going to be similar to Gideon that's whittled down to 300 men. But you still get the victory. Not because you had the know-how. But because God had his hand on the thermostat of the heat of your storm. Hallelujah. These altars are open tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.